Every now and again, a story appears that is stranger than fiction. Some are tragic, some are horrifying, others a mixture of both. It could be a strange disappearance, a supernatural attack, or a terrifying case of mistaken identity. But what makes the following 10 tales truly frightening is that they are all true. So if you're ready for this, then hit the lights, sit back, and enjoy. The Humpty Doo Poltergeist Humpty Doo is a small town in the Northern Territory of Australia, not far from Darwin. Humpty Doo is also an Australian slang term, which means everything is turned upside down or topsy-turvy. It's actually the perfect description for the sort of phenomena caused by a poltergeist. The following activity began in 1998 with classic behavior, when the residents of 90 McMinns Drive, Andrew and Kirsty Agius, and their friends who were sitting out on the porch were playing with a shower of pebbles. After moving indoors, the commotion continued with stones falling through the air from just below the ceiling all through the house, on tables, floors, beds, and even their heads. The pebbles appeared to be from the owner's own driveway and felt warm when touched. Later that night, other objects began to appear from nowhere, small batteries, spanners, and most alarmingly, knives and shards of broken glass dropped and flew across the rooms. Over the next few days, the vandalism began. A CD player was flung onto the floor, then glass cabinet doors and windows were smashed by a flying ashtray. Appliances were ripped off counters, mattresses were overturned, and the most sinister part was the scraping noises coming from inside the walls. Despite the intervention of three priests, the polt, as the residents liked to call it, refused to be calmed. Creepiest of all were the words and symbols that began to materialize on the walls, written in marker pen or spelled out in scrabble tiles on the floor. Troy, skin, fire, car, and help were the first set of words to appear. This is chilling when you consider that their friend Troy had been burned to death in a car crash very near to the property just before the poltergeist activity began. After being terrorized for four long months by the polt, it left just as abruptly as it had arrived, and the event is still unexplained to this day. Mashio Hoshino's Last Photograph Mashio was a wildlife photographer who was considered to be one of the most accomplished men in his field. Born in 1952 in Japan, he grew up with an interest in nature and began hiking and exploring his native country. Whilst at university, he came across a photograph of a small village in the Bering Sea named Shishmaref. Intrigued by the remoteness of the tiny snow-covered settlement and keen to know what life was like there, Michio wrote a letter to the mayor of the village. It took several months for a reply to arrive, but in the summer of 1973, Michio was invited to spend three months in Shishmaref, staying with a local family. Having studied photography back in Japan, Michio was soon recording everything he experienced on camera. He spent the next 18 years traveling all over the state of Alaska and photographing his extended stays in the wilderness. He was also a talented writer, recording stories about the land and its peoples as he traveled. His photographs were widely published and lauded around the world. It was on one of his trips to photograph bears in Kamchatka, Russia, in August 1996, that his life was tragically cut short. 
Michio and his team were able to track down a large brown bear near the shores of Kuril Lake. The bear was easy to photograph as it was not afraid of humans and continued to fish as they approached, allowing for close-up shots. It became clear from traces left at the campsite that the bear was stalking them and a Russian guide warned Michio that he should sleep indoors, but he refused and instead stayed in his tent. You can guess what happened next. At night, the bear ripped through the fabric and dragged Michio away to his death. It is rumored that when Huntsman shot the bear, Michio's hands were found in its stomach. It would seem that the image of a snarling bear said to have been taken by Michio just moments before his death and circulated on the net was actually an entry for a Photoshop competition to create a last photo taken before death. But it's terrifying to think that this is probably what Michio seen before his demise. Sadly, he was only 43 when he died, leaving his wife and son. Gormandur and Gierfina In January 1974, an 18-year-old labourer named Gordemur set off to walk home in a snowstorm. At some point, he was seen by a passing motorist as he almost fell in front of the car. After this, he was never seen again. Ten months later in November, Gierfina was at home when he received a phone call. He immediately left and drove to a harbour calf in nearby Keflavik. His keys were found in the car ignition, but he too disappeared. This all took place in Iceland, a country with an extremely low murder rate, and an investigation was opened, but the Icelandic police had no witnesses, motive, bodies, or forensic evidence, and the pressure from both the media and the public was intense. Before long, a man named Savar, who was a petty criminal, and his girlfriend, Erla, were picked up and questioned. This began a fantastical tale that became known as the Reykjavik Confessions, which revolved around nightclubs, fraud, smuggling, nightmares, and murder. As well as Savar and Erla, eventually four more suspects signed confessions for the murders, although none of them could actually remember committing the crimes. Those accused were not given any access to their lawyers, were kept in isolation, and interviewed for hours at a time. They were given antipsychotic and sedative drugs, subjected to water torture and sleep deprivation. The suspect said that they signed the confessions to be allowed out of solitary confinement. Erla was held there for 242 days, and another two prisoners were held for over 600. Outside of Guantanamo Bay, these are the longest periods that any defendant has spent in isolation. All six were convicted and sentences ranged from life imprisonment for Savar to between 12 and 3 years for the others. It wasn't until 2011 that the case became famous for its false memory syndrome, police corruption and unreliable confessions. The Twin Gynecologist's Strange Death it was an oppressively hot day, and there had been several complaints about the foul smell coming from the fashionable Manhattan apartment of 460 East. On the 17th of July 1975, Bill Terrell was the handyman at the 63rd Street and York Avenue building, so he went up to the 10th floor to take a look. The apartment was locked, but Bill let himself in with the maintenance key. Inside, he found the body of Dr. Cyril Marcus lying face down on the bed in a pair of shorts. In another room on the floor next to what was almost the same bed, Bill found the body of Cyril's identical twin brother, Dr. Stuart Marcus. He was completely naked and lying face up. 
The place was a mess, with filthy clothing, empty liquor bottles, soda cans, discarded food and money scattered around. One of the armchairs was smeared with human feces, but there was no sign of any struggle. The medical examiner stated that the twins were in their mid-forties when they died. Stuart had been dead for four days, and Cyril for only two. He thought their deaths could have been caused by drugs or chemicals, but 30 tests were unable to determine what caused the gynecologist's deaths. Although there were said to be over 100 prescription drug bottles, there were no sign of any narcotics or alcohol in either of the men's systems. Growing up, the twins spent all of their time with one another and began their medical residences together also. They wore similar clothing, sometimes talking just to one another and excluding others. They began a private practice, were known nationally, and even wrote a classic textbook together. But at some point, the twins' behavior towards their patients became unpredictable and arrogant, as they spiraled into a drug addiction with barbiturates and amphetamines. Pregnant women were shouted and screamed at, and one even had surgical instruments thrown at her. It seems the men tried to kick their habit alone at Cyril's flat after stocking up on food and medication, but at some point between the 10th and 14th of July, it seems that Stuart died. Cyril, who was disorientated, was seen out on the street by the doorman after this date, but returned to the flat where he also died. New tests showed traces of barbiturates in Stuart's body, but the cause of Cyril's death still remains a mystery. The Barari Deaths On the morning of 1st of July 2018, in the Barari district of Delhi, India, 11 members of the Chundawat family were found dead. 10 of them were hanging from the ceiling. The grandmother, being the oldest family member, was found on the bedroom floor strangled. A belt hung from the wardrobe handle. The Chadwats owned a grocery store, which usually opened between 5 and 5.30 a.m. At 7.30 a.m., a neighbor went to see why the shop was still closed. When he saw that the door was open, he stepped inside and found the whole family hanging. The police were sent for, but before their arrival, hundreds of people had turned up at the shop. Some had even gone inside, trampling all over the evidence. One person even made a video of the horrific scene and posted it online. Nine of the victims were found close together in the living room, suspended from a metal grill in the skylight, with one female victim suspended alone in the corner. They all had nooses made from brightly colored Saracen wire, they were blindfolded, and some of the bodies had their hands and feet tied with rope. Their heads were wrapped in cloth, their ears plugged with cotton wool, and their mouths taped shut. Eleven diaries were found at the house, which detailed how the younger son, Lalit, had become convinced that he was possessed by the spirit of his dead father. He had become head of the household, and convinced the others over eleven years that his orders had to be followed no matter what. The details of an obscure religious ritual were found in the last diary, which matched how the bodies looked when they were found. Could the family have obeyed Lalit and entered into some sort of ceremony that had gone wrong? As the bodies showed no signs of a struggle, it is possible. So mass suicide, a religious ritual gone wrong, or murder? Either way, 11 members of the same family had died in the most chilling way, the youngest being Lalit's own son, Shivam who was just 15 years old. Amir Sadiqui 
It was a perfectly normal Sunday afternoon in Cardiff, Wales, on April 2010, for the Sadoqui family. Mum Pavin, Dad Iqbal, and their son, 17-year-old Amir. At just after half past one, Amir went to answer the door, thinking it was his Korean teacher. Instead, two men who were hiding their faces in balaclavas stood on the doorstep. They both held knives and immediately jumped on Amir, stabbing him in a frenzied attack. Amir tried his best to get away from them, even getting to the dining room before he collapsed, but the two assailants didn't stop. They followed the teenager and continued to hack at his body. Amir's parents desperately tried to help their son. Pavin jumped on top of one of the men, while his father tried to pull them away, but the attackers slashed out and injured them both before running out of the house. Amir died at the scene. Both of the murderers, who it turned out were high on heroin at the time, had been howling throughout the attack. The investigation found CCTV footage of the two killers, and Ben Hope and Jason Richards were soon arrested. They blamed each other for the attack, and it emerged that they had been hired by a man named Mohammed Al-Aghi, who had paid them £1,000 each to kill a local businessman who lived in the next street. Mohammed was angry over a property deal that had gone wrong. The businessman lived on Shiley Road, which was next to Ninian Road, where the Sakis lived. In their drug-addled state, the men had gone to the wrong street. Hope and Richards were sentenced to life imprisonment. Mohammed was arrested in New Delhi, India, but he escaped from court in 2017 whilst awaiting extradition. Mohammed is still at large, and anyone with any information is asked to contact the police. Bird Attack on Monterey Bay In August of 1961, Thousands of seabirds suddenly changed from their normal flight path after feeding off the coast of Rio del Mar, California. A thick fog had enveloped Monterey Bay and the birds needed somewhere to shore. At about 3.30am they arrived at Capitola and residents there were awakened by the cacophony of thudding noises on their roofs and the sounds of seabirds crying like babies as they regurgitated anchovies and knocking themselves out by slamming into buildings. Some residents were brave enough to go outside with flashlights, but found that the frantic avians, which are named sooty shearwaters, flew straight at them. Like something out of a scene from the film The Birds, some people were even bitten. The following morning, the streets were covered with dead and dazed birds and half-eaten anchovies. The survivors were too weak to fly, so the residents gathered them up and took them back to the ocean. There, many made a recovery but truckloads of the dead birds were taken away and disposed of from all along the Monterey Bay area. So what had caused the birds to become crazed? In 1991, there was another mass of bird deaths in the same area, and scientists found that this was due to a toxic algae bloom. The Scripps Institute for Oceanography had collected zooplankton from Monterey Bay in 1961, which was found to contain a neurotoxin called domoic acid. The anchovies had eaten the deadly algae, and the sooty shearwaters had eaten the anchovies, thereby poisoning themselves and causing memory loss, disorientation and seizures. Navy Blimp Al-8 On the 16th of August 1942, the Al-8 Blimp took off from Treasure Island in San Francisco Bay just after 6am. These non-rigid airships had been used regularly to patrol the seas around the California coast, following the attack on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese in 1941. 
There were two crew members aboard the blimp, Lieutenant Junior Grade Ernest DeWitt Cody and Ensign Charles Adams. Both were experienced pilots. Due to a weather issue with the airship, their flight mechanic was unable to join them. At about 7.50, Lieutenant Cody radioed into the control tower to say that they had seen a suspicious oil slick near Farron Islands and were going to investigate. Standby was the last communication to be sent from the L-8 before the signal was lost. Two ships that were in the area reported seeing the airship circling around as though it was searching for something in the water. The blimp dropped several flares into the sea and at some point between 8am and 9am it came very low to the water and the crew could be clearly seen. Then an hour before it was due, the airship headed back towards San Francisco. The pilot of a Pan-American airplane reported seeing the blimp quite steadily passing the Golden Gate Bridge at 11am, but shortly before, it crashed down on a busy street in front of a house at 419 Bellevue Avenue, Daly City. The cockpit was empty and both of the crew members had vanished. Both parachutes and the life raft were still on board and the radio was in perfect working order. Despite an extensive search, no trace of the men was ever found. Theories range from capture by the Japanese to UFO abduction. Whatever happened to the crew of the L-8 ghost blimp remains a mystery to this day. Night Deaths of Asian Men In July 1983, the Los Angeles Times printed an article titled Night Deaths of Asian Men Explained. The piece claimed that young and healthy Japanese men and women were dying suddenly in their sleep every year. There had also been similar deaths among Filipinos and Southeast Asian refugees living in the US. The Japanese called the mysterious disease Pokuri, which can be translated to mean that death occurs suddenly with a snap. None of the victims, who were mostly men, suffered from heart disease. In 1980, there were 80 of these deaths just in Tokyo alone and 76 of them were men. It was estimated that between 500 and 1,000 were dying from Pokori in an average year. It was named Nocturnal Death Syndrome by two American researchers who said it was a baffling phenomenon. In the Philippines, the deaths are said to be caused by a disease called Bangangut. The men there are thought to die during or just after a nightmare. The article is thought to have inspired director Wes Craven to write his horror masterpiece, a Nightmare on Elm Street, where teenagers are stalked and killed by Freddy Krueger in their own nightmares. Yuliana Kapka, the lone survivor. Yuliana was born in Lima, Peru. His parents established Panguama, a biological research station in the Amazon rainforest, when she was four. On Christmas Eve of 1971, the now 17-year-old Yuliana and her mother boarded Lanza Flight 508. Her father was not happy with his wife and daughter flying with the airline because it had a bad reputation, but it was the only flight available. The flight encountered thunderstorms and serious turbulence before being struck by lightning. The plane broke apart mid-air and Yuliana found herself free-falling, still strapped into a seat. She plummeted 10,000 feet before landing in the Peruvian rainforest. With a concussion, broken collarbone, an eye injury, and a deep wound on her right arm, Yuliana drifted in and out of consciousness for half a day. Then following water downstream, she began to trek through the jungle. Yuliana came across three dead passengers, 
rammed headfirst into the ground, but was relieved to find that none of them was her mother. She had to deal with serious insect bites and a maggot-infested arm, but on the tenth day of her nightmare, she found some gasoline in a lodging hut and poured it over the wound. A few hours later, three lodgers discovered her and took her to the hospital, where she was reunited with her father. Later, she was able to take rescuers back to the wreckage of the plane. Of the 96 on board, everyone had died except for Juliana. About 14 other passengers survived the initial impact, but died while waiting for rescue, including her mother. It was later discovered that the aircraft was assembled entirely from spare parts of other planes. So that's it for this video. That was 10 truly horrifying real-life stories. If you would like us to go in-depth on any one of these 10 topics, then head over to Patreon to take part in the poll. The topic with the highest votes will be featured in an in-depth podcast episode. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you in the next video.